Good evening. We are here tonight to wrap up the series, The Exiles, in which I've been talking about Israel going through that time of exile. Uh, I kind of cheated at the beginning by talking about the time after their slavery in Egypt to where they, were, they spent 40 years wandering in the desert, but that was also a type of exile because they were without a home. They were without a way of life. They were without a lot of different things. And during that point in time, they turned away from God. And one of the things that I brought up then, and one of the things that I'll bring up now, is it's insane to read that in the Bible, in Exodus, uh, about how they had been delivered from so much. And yeah, they'd had a lot of pain and suffering, but then they saw so many miracles, and they saw God's power just ridiculously in front of them. They, they saw uh, all of these different things happen, the, the, the parting of the Red Sea, the plagues, uh, manna, all of these things. And then when it didn't, nothing happened for like five days, 10 days, 40 days, you know, it's a long time, but still, uh, they turned away and built a calf and, and to worship that. And we look at that and we think it's crazy, but then we also look at our own lives and think how when the going gets tough, sometimes we don't get going with it. Sometimes we kind of stop. And from there, we talked about the exile itself and how everything they held dear was, was taken away, their homes, their lives for many people, uh, their, their king, everything was taken away and they were forced out of their homes. Some of them were forced to stay, especially the poor people. And Jeremiah was forced to stay and just everything that that felt like, not knowing what tomorrow was going to bring, not knowing how long they would be lost, not knowing where God was in this. Now we know God was there and that he had a plan, but still it was hard for them to feel him. And yet he still loved them and he still would work with them and be with them. And then last week we talked about the grief that came from that and how most of the time in our lives people essentially want us to grieve in a certain way, a way that's comfortable for them. Uh, family and friends can be different, but even with that there's kind of a time limit attached to it or an importance limit. So like you can grieve about this person because you knew them, but not about this person or this thing or this loss. And that's ridiculous because grief is good. Uh, it doesn't feel good and it doesn't feel good in the moment, but we, that's how we move forward. And that's how we get from the exile, so to speak, to the long road back, which is what I'm talking about today. But it's in that grief that we truly can find God, truly find meaning, truly come to terms with what we've lost or who we've lost. And so I want to go straight into Ezra 1, 1 through 6, which chronicles the return. Uh, and so this is chapter 1, 1 through 6. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to spread it throughout his kingdom. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem and Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord. The God of Israel who lives in Jerusalem, uh, and may, be, may your God be with you. Wherever the Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey, and livestock, as well as a volunteer, voluntary offering from the temple of God in Jerusalem. Uh, then God stirred the hearts of the priests and Levites and the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And all their neighbors assisted by giving them articles of silver and gold, supplies for the journey and livestock. Then gave them many valuable gifts in addition to all the voluntary offerings. Uh, this is, has a lot in a little. And, and so first we see King Cyrus. You probably recognize that from Daniel. And he probably had a role in showing Cyrus the prophecies. Even in Isaiah, uh, I believe, 44 or so, 
where it mentions Cyrus by name. And, you know, that's really cool to see your name in the Bible, but this was 150 years or so before Cyrus. And so he would see the prophecies. He would feel God working in him. Even though he wasn't a follower of God, God still had a plan and, and talked to him. And we saw through the, the book of Daniel how he learned and grew. But when the proclamation went out, obviously it was received in different ways. You had people who had been born in the exile and had never been home. And so you're like, this seems like a trap. You had people who, who were really old now and couldn't really go back. You had people in all over the place who didn't know what to think. Uh, the priests and, and the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Uh, God spoke to them, and so they went back, but it was still a kind of a small percentage of the total people who went back, went back to Jerusalem to build the temple. And so we look at that and we kind of think, well, it's all good now. Like they went through these 70 years of exile and just like the 40 years in the desert where they had uh, the paradise and they came to the land of Canaan and they took their country and they were victorious and they had all of this stuff. Well, after the exile, everything's perfect again, right? That's not how it works. We're kind of trained by TV, by movies, by literature, uh, by all kinds of things to think, well, okay, so people hit rough spots. We know that. We go through grief. We know that. Uh, we mess up. We know that. And then we apologize or it gets made right. And then we're good forever. Uh, that's not how life works. You see, when you have a tough time, when you lose something, when you lose someone, when you're taken away from your home, when you lose your home, when you lose a battle like this, when all of these things happen, regardless of how long it takes, uh, even if you did nothing wrong, sometimes it's still a long road back. It's very rarely that like you get in a fight with a friend or a family member and you're like, hey, I'm sorry, we're good. You have to work through things. You have to talk to them. And there will be people in your life, uh, say you mess up in school, you mess up at work, you mess up and tick off your parents or you lose, they lose trust in you for whatever reason. Uh, it, it may take a while to build that back. Just apologizing, that's important, uh, especially talking to God and getting re redemption because with him, once you actively ask and you truly ask for forgiveness, it's given. But then in the world, there can still be consequences. With people that love you, even, there can still be consequences. And so when the Israelites came back, it wasn't like everybody said, well, here's your country and here's your temple. Everything's good now. You're not going to have any more problems. If you look over the course of their history, there's still a lot of problems because that's the way of the world. Uh, in my own life, when I have lost things or lost people or lost jobs or whatever, uh, it, it's not like, oh, boom, like, you know, now I, I'm in a better place and so everything's perfect. Uh, it, it's not like right now I, I, I love where I am and I love the people that I serve with and I love the, the teens that I'm talking to and their parents and adults, whoever else is watching. Uh, and I really love this. I really feel at home and good, but I still have issues in my own life, still things like uh, bills and, and money worries and different things like that that, that will... Uh, pray upon my mind at different times, and I have to pray, and I have to think, and I have to work in different ways, and all of these things. You see, life is never going to be perfect, even if you do everything you're supposed to do. And so in this case, obviously, they had messed up a lot, and, and when they're driven out of the country, they didn't do anything wrong. But while they were gone, they probably built up this expectation that most of us do that, well, you know, once we're back, we're back, like everything's good. That's not how it went. However, it was still such an encouragement, and it's weird to think well, wow, the Persians, they're going to let them come back and build their own temple? Uh, Persia actually had kind of a freedom of religion. Now, they had the rule of the king and you had to follow him, but everybody was encouraged to worship their own way as long as it didn't go against the overall rule. It, it was a part of their society. 
And that's not necessarily something that everybody wanted. And so there were still obstacles along the way. And yet, they had a way back. And so I want to go to the next part. Uh, and this is after 70 years of the exile. This is Ezra 3, 10 through 13. When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. And the Levites, descendants of Asaph, clashed, with, clashed the cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had uh, prescribed with praise and thanks. They sang this sword to the Lord, song to the Lord. He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. But many of the older priests, Levites, and other leaders who had uh, seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting for joy. The joyful shouting and weeping mangled together in a loud noise that could be heard, for, for, heard far in the distance. When I first read this, whenever that was, I remember just reading, oh man, like the older people, the, the older priests, like they were weeping uh, and, and thinking like, oh, we're finally home. We finally have this. But then the next line is, but everybody else was, was shouting and weeping for joy. And so you have to look at that. And I read several commentaries and I looked into it. Uh, most of the people who were upset, now, losing your home and losing your country and all of that, it makes sense. But when they came back and they're like, we have a chance again to build a life. We have a chance to, to be normal again. We have a chance to come together again or for the first time. Uh, many people were like, I don't like this. This isn't the way that I want it. This isn't how I want it to happen. I don't want to have to do this to change. I shouldn't have to change. Everybody else should have to change. Everybody should fit in with me. I don't care. If I'm not the one in charge, I should be. And that's how a lot of the people were thinking. And they looked at that. And in, where many people, especially the, the people who had maybe not been there before, saw the foundation as, wow, God is helping us to rebuild. He's helping us to build something new. He's helping us to find our way back to him. They saw, well, that's not what it was. That's not how we've always done it. That's not what we want. That's not what society is supposed to look like. That's not what I think things should look like. Uh, Solomon spent like $8 billion building the temple, and this doesn't look like that. This is not even close to that. And I would imagine the people around them, some of them are like, dude, it's, I know that this isn't what we want, but it's something, and we can build from it. We can find God. God is helping us. God is with us. And some people are like, man, you complain about everything. Aren't you ever happy? And, you know, that sucks to say. And some people were like, man, you know what? I really felt God, but now you've really brought me down and maybe you're right and I'm going to turn to you. It's insane to imagine that losing your country for 70 years, losing your way of life for 70 years, it still wasn't good enough when they came back because we expect perfection. We expect to be right. We expect what we want right now. And I've talked about this several of the weeks because it's kind of what's happening. Right now, we're going through a time, in a way, a time of exile. Nowhere near as serious as what Israel went through. Uh, in one of my Facebook lives, I talked about the Great Depression. It's nowhere near as serious as that. But we're going through a time where there's a lot of questions uh, about what's happening. There's a lot of questions about when things will be normal. There's a lot of questions uh, about what we should do and all of these things. Uh, I remember when we first had a meeting in the church, and this is behind the curtain stuff, uh, talking about what was happening. Like this is when COVID first kind of started being a thing. And when we first started hearing, well, there are places that are going to shut down. This is the very beginning, like in March. And, and I remember being in that meeting and we talked and we had just gotten a directive 
from, from above uh, in the Methodist church to, to shut down for a while. And, you know, we were like, hey, we're going to do a live stream. We're going to keep things going like that. And I was like, I would love to, to live stream uh, my youth messages each week and just keep doing that. Now, I meant that, and I mean that, and I love doing it. And if you talk to Terry, you know that I'm kind of obsessed with doing it. And then I'm like, okay, well, we have to record here and here and here. And he's like, dude, it's cool. And, and I'm like, eh, you know, I worry. And uh, anyway, I, I was in my head thinking, okay, so it's March, and I was doing a mental health series. Uh, this is a very important one to me, and so I'm going to have to record these two, like I'll live stream these two, and you know, we'll do that, and then probably in April I'll be back. And I was honestly thinking that, uh, regardless of what the news was saying, regardless of what everything else was saying, because in my life, uh, things, even when things are bad for me, they tend to be okay, because I have it better than a lot of people, because I'm in a certain class, and because I, I live in a certain place, because I've had a good family, uh, because I've uh, been in good churches, because all of that. And because I've done my best to serve God. And so in my head, I'm like, well, there's no way this is going to last a long time. Like, it's going to be done because that's what I think should happen. And then as the week stretched, I'm like, well, surely it's going to be done. Like, we're going to be back to normal by June. And then we got to June, and I, I'm like, well, that's okay. But July, it's summer. Like, that's, you know, baseball and, and, and apple pie and fireworks and all this stuff. I don't actually like fireworks. No offense. Uh, they're loud. And... I, I was thinking, well, it's going to be okay. Like, it's going to be normal again. And I kept thinking this. Now, publicly, and, and honestly, and this is how I felt, I was like, we're going to keep going and doing what we need to do because God is with us. And I believe that. I believed that. But in my head, I kept thinking, okay, well, it's just going to be a couple more weeks. And then we get to July, and I start to think, man, are we ever going to be back to normal? And I'm sure that many of you have kind of gone through that same process. For the teens that are watching, uh, you've heard so many different plans about school and you've had starts and stops to sports and to band and all of these different things. Uh, jobs have started, jobs have stopped. You've been allowed to travel, you've not been allowed to travel, all of these different things. And it's like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, how is this happening? And, and so some people are like, well, I want to just be normal again because I've waited long enough. And that's what the older people, uh, the ones that are weeping at the temple, they're like, it should be what we want. Uh, it's not, that's not how life works. Uh, I'm not saying that's the right way for life to work. I'm not saying that's the wrong way for life to work. I'm just saying life is not perfect, and yet God is. And so he speaks through any circumstance. Through this time of, again, exile, uh, the Israelites had to make do with what they had, and it wasn't what they wanted, and it wasn't great, and it was hard, and yet God helped them. And so the ones that were born, God still taught them and spoke to them, and they still followed him. Uh, the ones that died, even though they didn't die in their home, they still died with God. The people that were left in the country, they were bitter, and some of them were happy, and some of them were sad, and yet God was still with them. Uh, for us, during the time where things are quarantined and things are shut down, and, and there are different orders and not different orders and whatever, God's still there. We can argue day and night about who is right, but it doesn't matter because we are here to serve him. We are here to help others. We are here to love. We are here not to have things our way, but to make do with what is here the best that we can, just like they did. And maybe our new temple, our new way of life when it comes back, won't be exactly what it was. Maybe it won't be exactly what we want. But if we allow God to work with us, then we're going to see him work. It's going to be rebuilding. It's going to be renewed. It's going to be something. And we can spend the rest of our life just saying, it's not what I want. And people do that even before this. They do that. They spend the rest of their lives saying, I don't like the carpet of the church. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like what happened over there. And so I'm done. And they give up. 
And yet, as long as there is life, there is hope. And I said that in grief. I've said that before. I say that a lot. And that's what the Israelites are facing here. Some of them are not happy. None of them are like overjoyed with the fact that they're not even in their own country anymore. But they still see good in rebuilding. They still see God in speaking to them because no matter what we go through, whether it's something of our own design or something of the world's, whether it's good or bad, God is still with us. And he still has a plan and we can still come together and still look at him and still show him in the way that we act, in the way that we treat others, in the way that we help others, in the way that we put the welfare of others above our own. One of the things that I like to do sometimes is acrostics are when you have a word and then each letter stands for something else. I talked about that last week with um, Lamentations. Uh, Joy. And so I try to live my life by joy. J-O-Y, in case you didn't know how to spell that. Uh, Anyway, Uh, J-O-Y. Jesus, then others, then you. That should be the order of our priorities. It should be the order of how we think. Not, well, this isn't what I want, so I'm not going to do it. But can I show Jesus in this? Can I help others see Jesus? Can I help others, period? That's what our life is about. I want to keep going because... No matter how quickly things go back, no matter how good things are, there is always going to be opposition. There are always going to be problems. Ezra 4, 1 through 5. The enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were rebuilding a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. So they approached Zerubbabel and the other leaders and said, let us build with you, for we worship your God just as you do. Uh, We have sacrificed to him ever since King Eskerhaddon of Assyrian brought us here. But Zerubbabel... Uh, uh, Jeshua and the other leaders of Israel replied, you must have no part in this work. We alone will build the temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, just as King Cyrus of Persia commanded us. Then the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. They bribed agents to work against them to frustrate their plans. They went on during the entire reign of King Cyrus of Persia and lasted until King Darius of Persia took the throne. So there's always going to be opposition. And in this, especially the first paragraph, it's like, well, why didn't they want help? Uh, if you read before and you read the context, you see that they, those people that came in had a plan to kind of sabotage it. And God had uh, shown the Israelites this is what's going to happen. And so they knew and then when they couldn't do that, they started talking behind their backs and trying to, to, show, to cause people to fear, trying to cause them to think that everything was against them, trying to cause them to think that this was the wrong way to be, trying to cause them to think all of these negative things. And these were people that believed in God. Uh, in fact, many of the people that were the enemies of this process now had been people who were left in the country during the exile. Many of them were poor. They didn't have homes before, but they lived there. Some were Samaritans, and this is kind of where the beginning of that enmity or near the beginning of that enmity between the two people started where the Samaritans uh, kind of combined the faith of the Jews and the faith of other places where they'd lived because of different things, and that's beside the point. Anyway, those enemies, they did not come to them and just tear down the building. They were trying to tear them down from within. They did not say, hey, we're going to beat you and defeat you and do something else that rhymes with defeat. We're not going to do any of that. We're going to uh, sow discord. We're going to say bad things. We're going to make you doubt. We're going to make you doubt yourselves. We're going to make you think that we're right because that's how they win. They were like a virus. We have that today where there are people who, who want the church to be this and people that want the church to be that and people that want the church to be this over here. And sometimes there can be these different cliques that kind of get together. And we've all kind of felt that at different points, but we all serve the same God. 
uh, I bring this up because there's always opposition. Like I said, in the long road back, there are always going to be twists and turns and problems and bumps and road construction, especially in Ohio. And there's always going to be these, these uh, problems. And yet we can still keep going forward together. We can still join together. We can still serve God together. We can still overcome those problems because there is literally nothing that can stand in our path that is bigger than God. There is literally no storm that can defeat us if we serve God. Uh, Jumping to the New Testament where Peter literally walked on water while he was looking at Jesus. But then he focused on the storm around him, on the waves, on everything else, on the fact that he was doing something he didn't think he should be able to do. And then he sank. And Jesus still helped him up. But for that brief few moments, he was walking on water. He was accomplishing a miracle. And in our lives, and I talked about this myself with with finances, we tend to focus on our struggles. We tend to focus on what's not right. Now, we should be a, a, a... example for Jesus all the time and we should always show how to live for him and show how to love others and how to love him but we tend to focus on the negative we tend to focus on the worst case scenario we tend to focus on the worst possible outcome we tend to focus on what makes us feel wrong whether it is right or wrong but something that challenges our worldview like I said with some of the older people in in the the temple building that wasn't the way they thought it should be done or that wasn't the way they wanted it to look and so it wasn't right And we do that still today, regardless of age, regardless of of faith even. We get caught up in what we think is right and what we want and how we think life should be. That we forget to say, well, wait, what does God have to say about this? Uh, What what does God uh, have have in store for me? Like, how can I work with uh, others? How can I show God to others? How can I be a better example? And in this opposition, the Israelites could have said, man, We spent 70 years in exile, and there's still people that don't want us to have our home. I give up. I'm going home. They could have said, we spent so long not having things the way that we wanted, the things the way that we deserved, that it's so hard and people are still against it, so I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go. And people do that today. People will always do that. Because it's always more attractive to be right, for people to think you're right. Uh, And we all kind of struggle with that. And it's always more attractive to be comfortable, to have things the way that you want them, to have things how you want them, to have things when you want them. And yet, that's not how God works. He doesn't work in comfort, and He doesn't work in the way that we want. He works in the way that is right, in the way that works the best for us, the way that works the best for His people, the way that works the best for for everyone who follows Him. Because his goal is not just for Christians to make it to heaven. That's important. His goal is for Christians to show everyone else what heaven is like. His goal was not just to rebuild the temple. His goal was to show all of the Israelites and all of the nations, hey, the temple never really left. Like, yeah, it got torn down and that is awful. And that is a tragedy, but I'm still here. And so it never left. You can still worship me. Uh, because it's not about a building. It's not about a, a way of life. It's not about any of that. It's about following the Savior. It's about following Him. And so no matter what is against you, no matter who is against you, no matter how your life is, He is still in it. So look for that. There's one more part of Scripture I want to read. Ezra 6, 13 through 16. Uh, Tatanai, governor of the province west of the Euphrates River, and Shethar Bozani and their colleagues, uh, 
complied at once with the command of King Darius. So the Jewish elders continued their work, and they were greatly encouraged by the preaching of the prophets. Haggai and Zechariah, son of Iddo, uh, the temple was finally finished, as had been commanded by the God of Israel and decreed by S Cyrus, Darius, and uh, Artaxerxes, something, the king of Persia, kings of Persia. The temple was completed on March 12th during the sixth year of King Darius's reign. The temple of God was then dedicated with great joy by the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the people who had returned from exile. So the building of the temple from start to finish took about four years. Uh, that's much, much less than 70 years. And yet during those four years, imagine building a house for four years. Imagine uh, building a car for four years. I can't do that, but let's assume you can. Imagine studying for a test for four years. Imagine... Uh, filling out an application for four years, whatever. Imagine something taking four years. It's a long time to us. It, college is four years. That's a long time. High school is four years. That's a long time. Uh, and, and so four years felt like a long time probably while they're building and while they have opposition and while people are saying, you can't do this, you shouldn't do this. And yet, in the end, what happened? In the end, the temple was finished because God said it would be. Uh, it didn't matter what people thought. It didn't matter what it looked like. It didn't matter how people did it. The, the fact was, God said it's going to happen. And so it happened. And so it was a success and the people came together. And that is the key there. Things didn't look how everybody expected. They didn't happen how everybody expected. Nobody wanted the exile to happen. Nobody wanted opposition. Nobody wanted Persia to be in control. Nobody wanted any of that. And yet they all came together. Even Persians helped with this. They all came together. They all worked together. They had different backgrounds, different beliefs, different feelings, different ideas. And yet they all came together. It did not mean that every religion is the same. It did not mean that every truth is the same. It meant that they all came together for a purpose. And they all served God in that way. And God's will was done because God's will is always done. In your life. As you go through middle school and high school and college and adulthood and old agehood and everything else that happens, you're going to have stretches of wonderful things. You're going to have stretches of things you don't understand and you're going to have stretches of tragedy. And I wish that I could take away the tragedy. I wish I could explain the things that you don't understand. But that's how life is. And yet in each of those stretches, there will be God. And we can serve Him. And what is necessary for that, for the greatest outcome, is to come together. Uh, one of the scriptures that I love using is also from the New Testament in Matthew, and it's love your enemies. Love your enemies. And he uses the word, Jesus uses the word agape, which means unconditionally love your enemies. When you hear love your enemies, you think, oh yeah, I won't talk bad about people. Oh yeah, those people are different to me, they disagree with me, we have different political views, we have different... Uh, team views, but he says love them unconditionally, and that's the same word he uses for how God loves you, how you should love God. We have to unconditionally love people. It does not mean we have to agree with everybody. It doesn't mean we change our beliefs. It means that we have to love them, which means we don't hate them, which means we don't spend all our time tearing them down, which means we don't build what we think should happen. We build the life God wants to happen, which is working together, coming together, helping each other see him, helping each other grow. Helping people even if they don't believe the same as you. Helping people even if they don't look the same as you. Helping people even if they're not politically the same as you. Helping people even if they like Purdue or LeBron. And that's gross. Helping all people. 
no matter what. By showing them a better way, by showing them a better life, by showing them God's love, by loving them, even if they say, I don't want to go to church. Sometimes we invite someone to church or we tell people about Christ and they're like, "Eh, I don't want to. And then we're like, "Eh, see you later. But in life, imagine if Jesus had lived like that. Imagine if he had said, okay, I'm going to tell these people about me and about God's love and about how to get to heaven. And the first one that doesn't listen, I'm just going to get out of here. And I'm going to quit and I'm going to not like him anymore and I'm not going to not care about him and I'm just going to act like he doesn't exist and I'm going to post negative things about him and everything he thinks and I'm going to do all of that. I'm going to unlike him, unfriend him, whatever. He didn't say that. In fact, and this is my favorite point, Judas was a disciple for the entire three years with Jesus and Jesus washed his feet. Didn't mean Judas went to heaven. But Jesus did not say, you're not listening, dude, you're sinning. He said, I'm going to keep pouring into you. I'm going to keep showing you because maybe you won't change, but maybe someone else will read your story and see me and the love and show that to other people because that is the lesson of Jesus' life. It is absolutely to love God and to follow him, but it is also to love others regardless of who they are, regardless of where they are, regardless of what they are, to love them. It is not to argue politically about small things. It's not to argue about the best way to help people. It's just to help people. It's to do better. And I know that that's a lot to pour on a teenager, but as adults, we suck at this. Like the other generations, we've screwed up over and over and over again. Not everybody. There are a lot of people that get it right. But there are a lot of people that mess it up. And so in your life, no matter what age you are, do better. In your life, do everything you can Not to focus on the negative, not to focus on the bad, not to point out all of the worst case scenarios. That does not mean to always be positive. It doesn't mean to never say that something's wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying focus on how God can work in any situation. Focus on how you can work for Him in any situation. The whole point of this series was that Israel, God's chosen people, went through a horrible time of exile. And they did bad things and they did good things and that's how their life went. But God was still there. And the people that followed him, the people that came together, the people that worked, built a new temple and built a new way of life. And their life still wasn't perfect, but they were with him who was. In our lives, life's not going to be perfect and it's not going to be the way we want it. But God will always be there. And it is on us to show that to everyone. It's on us to live like the exiles, not the ones that cried because things were wrong but the ones that wept because things were going forward and always go forward because it's a long road back to normal. It's a long road back to God. It's a long road back to heaven. And yet it's a road paved with love. And that sounds corny, but it's true. And that's what we do. When in doubt, do what Jesus would do. When in doubt, show love. When in doubt, show people who you are and who you serve and why, why God is love. That's all I got.